you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. What is the long-term effect of too much information? Information, information, I just need some information. I've been dying, I've been dying, is it lack of education? I've been reading, I've been reading without any transformation. I'm addicted, I'm addicted, is it overstimulation? Hey. Welcome to the success report. The success report. Hear ye, hear ye, come one, come all. You are listening to The Sixth Sense Report with Joel Nikoloff and Darnell Samuels. Today we'll be looking at the Black Experience Report. So for those of you who don't know, basically after more than seven years of research, interviews, and community engagement, the Black Experience Project uh, study released its findings, aiming to answer the central question, what does it mean to be Black in the GTA? So the the survey was based on 1,500 participants from the Black community within the GTA with the goal of, of course, looking at um, the Black experience, but also um, providing a report for policymakers to help uh, bring about change within the community. So the approach Joel and I are going to take towards the report is, yes, let's start looking at what's being presented, uh, what are the solutions, but also not just what the problems are, but what the causes of the problems are. Uh, So we're taking the report as it was made for us um, to be used. So that's what we're going to do today. And I just want to start by uh, prefacing uh, the comments and let everybody know that uh, some of the things that um, will be said may be offensive to some listeners. So the listener's discretion is advised. Okay, and with that said, uh, Joel, are you ready to take a look at the report? Yeah. What uh, What do you think the where best place to start would be? Uh, well, okay. Well, definitions, which was which was uh, very helpful in looking at. Okay. Well, for example, the terms institutional racism structural racism and white supremacy so the definitions that were given by the report were for institutional racism exists when a set of established rules policies and regulations of institutions businesses and agencies etc systematically reflect and produce differential treatment of various groups and individuals based on race Uh, The next definition was structural racism. The term refers to a systemic or social racism, refers to the laws, legislations, rules, and ideology upon which the state operates and which tends to privilege the dominant group members of society and prevent minoritized group members from fully participating in society. This racism is difficult to overcome as it can be hard to identify and is often seen as the norm. And then finally, systemic, uh, sorry, white supremacy. Uh, So white supremacy, white supremacy is a system of privilege, oppression, and exploitation prepared by white peoples, i.e. European background, to maintain their wealth and power over black, indigenous, and other racialized people. White privilege does not always require its beneficiaries to be obviously or 
openly racist. Instead, dominant social institutions function to perpetuate white supremacy. Yeah, so that's a mouthful, but um, yeah, so that's so that's where we're gonna start with with these with these definitions, um, and really looking at identifying what institutions or policies um could we potentially see as a problem? Because we're we're gonna we're gonna play the role of policymakers. Um, so how can we help um the, help the situation? Well, I think for me, um, really looking carefully at the terminology. Of, for example, the first one, institutional racism. Um, I think that if you don't take the definition as precisely as it's worded, you can overlap uh, equality of opportunity with equality of outcome. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm going to read the second half again. So systemically, so this is referring to um, essentially institutions or businesses, systemically reflect and produce differential treatment of various groups and individuals based on race. Mm-hmm. So based on race, I think is really key. If you were to replace that with according to race, um, the reason why I'm using those two words differently is that if the outcomes are according to race, mm-hmm. you're looking, in my opinion, I'm using that term to differentiate between outcome, mm-hmm. right? So if the outcomes have a different racial split, that's a much different scenario than making decisions based on race, mm-hmm. right? So a really good example that I saw, I mean, it's fictional, but it's still, I think it articulates the, the problem that if it, you know, when it does exist, this is a really good example of it. It's, uh, recently in the, sh- in the show Suits, um, one of the, the lawyers was going after an organization for predatory lending. He was claiming that interest was based on race, so blacks were getting a higher interest rate than a white person with the exact same risk profile. Mm-hmm. And so what that it's really in that example it's really clear he was laying out like you have this person whose risk profile is really low and you have this person whose risk profile is slightly higher mm-hmm. but the lower risk profile is getting a higher interest rate and the only differentiating factor was race. Mm-hmm. So in that case the the definition saying producing differential treatment mm-hmm. where race is the deciding factor, mm-hmm. right? So that would be an example of institutional racism. Mm-hmm. But if the deciding factor is risk profile mm-hmm. and it produces a different outcome that can be identified according to races, then that's not racism, that's equal opportunity that results in unequal outcome. And, mm-hmm. and I would presume that most people's concern is saying, I want an equal shot. I want an equal chance, mm-hmm. right? If I can't get a loan because I'm black, that's a problem. But if I can't get a loan because my risk is so high that no one's willing to lend to me, right. that should be a true across the board. Right, right. Okay, okay, that's good. That's good because even like when I think about institutional racism and if we're using this definition that they're using, I'm thinking teachers unions. I'm thinking minimum wage, period. I think those two things are examples of hindrances uh, to the black community. And the reason why, when I look at teachers unions, you look at the fact that they don't have incentive to uh, 
to uh, directly deal with the kids in regards to their tenureship, right? So you have uh, people who are there because of seniority, and they're not being held, they're not being critiqued based on the results that they get from the kids. So if you went away from a teacher's union, and you went to more of a competitive model where teachers are being judged based on the results they're getting from the kids. For those black kids, assuming right the statistics, the statistics are true, black kids are being neglected in the system. If you're putting the incentive back on the teachers to get results from the kids, that's more beneficial than a teacher who is not being judged on the results he's getting from the kids. Because well, like at the end of the day, what does he care if he's getting a paycheck? You see what I'm saying? So at some point, you have to kind of be like, okay, um, that can be an hindrance in that aspect. So that's why I would say teachers' unions. So I mean, to put it another way, it sounds like you're saying that you don't be you believe teachers' unions have taken away the meritocracy component of the workforce. Meaning, you're based on your. It's a meritocracy in that you're competing based on your merits, right? So your your ability to produce results is is been removed from the competition right 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 totally so at at this point i'm thinking okay that's one example another example like i said was minimum wage and when i think about minimum wage well i know that minimum wage or we know that or economists know that uh, minimum wage prices uh, low skilled and low experienced workers out of the workforce so assuming that uh, black people would be um, in the low experienced because of being failed to opportunities would be priced out of um, the workforce. Even when we look at it historically, the reason why the minimum wage was invented to, was to keep black people out of work. Hold on. You know people aren't going to believe you when you say that, right? Well, well. I, okay, well, let me explain. So just just like like practically on the ground level, when we look at blacks being released out of slavery, Right, and they have to make a living for themselves. Working all those years in slavery, black people developed the amazing skills to be able to do a lot of things um, that are productive in society. So what ended up happening was uh, black people were um, bartering for their wages. So they were lowballing the white workers. So at the end of the day, you know, a business is a business, and they got to make money. So black people were being employed over white people. So this is this was causing the problem, right? Because now you have black people who are basically putting white people out of work because, you know, at the end of the day, a business is business. It's not for a white person who has a business, they'd rather pay a black person than, you know what I mean, than pay a white guy and still be able to make their money because at the end of the day, money talks. So what ended up happening was, and this happened in South Africa as well during apartheid. So this is what ended up happening. Whites were saying, okay, well, look, if we create a minimum wage, we price black people out of the market because all things being fair, if a white guy's hiring and there's a black guy and there's a white guy, who's the white guy going to pick? If they're the same price. If it's the same price, you pick the white guy. Especially in that time period. Right, especially in that time period. Now it's a little different of a story. Right, right. But, but then again, all I'm saying is that minimum wage enables discrimination. If you get rid of minimum wage, then you get rid of discrimination. In, in some form. Because, hey, hey. I mean, as an economist, I say discrimination in terms of, you know, spending my money alone. Right. I, I'm, in, I'm in favor of that, right? right? right. I'm going to discriminate against the highest quality for the lowest price when right. I'm buying my new phone. Right. When I'm, you know, so, right. you know, when, the problem is that word discrimination has a right. very broad sense of the yeah, term. Yeah, well, right? and, I'm, so. and I'm just using it in, in regards to, um, to, 
um, in this instance and being able to identify a policy. So, I, so for the listeners out there, uh, hit us up. If there's a, identify an institution, identify a policy, um, and let's talk about solutions um, in regards to institutional racism. If you disagree with me, that's cool. Um, outdo me in, in, in doing better and in, in finding a solution. I'm okay with, with throwing away my ideas if you have a better solution that's helpful. Uh, so, okay, let's move on to the next point. Um, the next one is uh, looking at income. Um, Inequality or income, income variability. Yeah, the air, income variability. So, so basically at this point um, in the report, uh, there was uh, statistics. And, yep. and, and, this is, and this is where, um, this is your forte. So what did yeah, you see? Bit. What did you um, see when you saw the well, numbers? Okay, so I mean, one thing to point out right away, right? Like they're using the term median income, which I think is valuable. Um, because it takes what what median is is really the middle, right? If you ranked everybody according to from highest to lowest, mm -hmm. the high income earners are essentially irrelevant, other than they're in first, mm -hmm. right? You find the middle middle. If you were looking at a hundred people, you would find the fifty first and the fiftieth person, and they're essentially the median. Okay, right? Because they're dead center in the middle. Okay, right? So when you're looking at the median of income. It's trying to show you what does the, the middle of the pack look like. Right. And how does the middle of one pack compare to the middle of another? In this case, they've used blacks, Latin American, Arab, Southeast Asian, West Asian, Korean, and non-visible minority. And then obviously they've given the total population as well. The non-visible minority being white people. I, I, that's how I took it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, unless there's some other terminology, but I'm yeah. assuming European descent, yeah. white, you know that categorization okay so what do you so what did you see based on that um i mean it's peculiar uh in that the all of the the groups other than non-visible minority are very similar you know um one you know within a so when i look at the medium employment income um it ranges from 41 or 40,000 to 45 47,000 and and really just stepping in between 2000 more here and then so on and so on um and and blacks tend we're pretty much right in the middle of those of those seven groups six groups um right and then the non-visible minorities were were higher at 56000 okay so 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 we do see a disparity right there oh yeah. and, and for the listener for for those who wanted to follow along it's uh figure number 3 on the uh full report and it comes from the the source of the data is 20000 2011, sorry, uh, Statistics Canada. Right, right. So, so, but, so what we're seeing is um, um, a wage gap. Yeah, definitely. But based on the other races compared to black people, what, what do you see? Um, I found that, I, you know, it's peculiar to me. Um, it makes me wonder why. I mean, you can, I think you could make a default assumption there's a lot of facts missing to make this assumption that the, re the reason is because of racism, right? So whites are racist towards everybody, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you could make that assumption. Um, mm. I don't think that the, the facts here necessarily indicate that, mm. but it does, you know, I would say this is something that I've said a lot about the whole equal opportunity, equal outcome scenario. When you have an unequal outcome, it begs the question of why, and you need to find causal factors because if you're not looking at what the differences are between these groups you haven't controlled for crazy amount of variables right like if if for some reason 
we are saying that one of these groups has a higher portion of single parent households, mm-hmm. then there's a chance that the individual incomes are going to be lower because as a single parent, you have to make a lot more sacrifices in right. terms of being able to take a full-time career, right? right? Like there are some people who are able to do it and like, that's amazing. Right. But a lot of people just, they got to take a part-time job. They got to work funky hours. They're getting barely any sleep. You know, they're not able to co- progress in a career that's nine to five. Right. Right. So, I mean, that's just one example. Right. You know, maybe there's one group in here that that's predominantly true. Right. Um, you know, what's the education ability? Right. Right, right, right. It's funny because, uh, okay, because I'm, I'm looking at this, uh, the stats, and uh, so there's like economic principle that says just because an institution conveys an outcome doesn't mean it caused the outcome, meaning that there, there, there's a difference in results that emerge and the results that are caused, kind of like uh, a hospital that has a high fatality rate. Well, it's not because it's a bad hospital, it's because it's taking on more serious cases, right? So there's a correlation there. Um, that we have to take our time and not necessarily um, jump to certain conclusions. So, yeah, the best hospitals are going to get the sickest patients, right? And 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 the higher <laughs> fatality rate than those that don't. Yeah. Um, but even just looking at the wage gap, and uh, um, there was a quote uh, I got from uh, Thomas Sowell's book, uh, "The Quest for Cosmic Justice," and he says, "Why are different groups so dispro- disproportionately represented in so many times and places?" Perhaps the simplest answer is that there was no reason to have expected them to be statistically similar in the first place. Geographical, historical, demographic, cultural, and other variables make the vision of an uneven or random distribution of groups one without foundation. And what he's saying there is that uh, based on the variables of culture, like you said before, demographic, geography, uh, and so forth, you're really saying, okay, well, what expectation based on those variables could we get an equal outcome with people who are just different and just different yeah. people groups? Yeah. I mean, another thought that comes to my mind is just, you know, you look at a, if I was to, to use something completely different as to splice the data, right? Like based on where people work, right? So because I work in downtown Toronto, I generally make more money. As I move farther and farther away from the downtown core, Generally speaking, jobs pay five to ten percent less, and and continue to progress outwardly. Okay. So right. so I could turn around and look at all those stats and go, oh look, Mississauga is, you know, being discriminated against against Toronto. Right. In and obviously nobody's going to make that statement. But you know, the point that I'm trying to make is not that the racism racism isn't the factor, mm-hmm. but that we need way more information to start delimiting the factors and and grouping things in order to striate what the differences are and what the causes are. Okay. Well, okay. Well, okay. Well, let's move on to uh, another aspect of this stat where it said in the report, why are blacks slightly less likely to be employed and a bit less likely to be in the labor force? Right. So again, it says, why are blacks slightly less likely to be employed and a bit less likely to be in the labor force. Um, so I guess it's saying, okay, well, what are some um, challenges? And it goes on to list the challenges of finding meaningful employment. And it goes like this. The first one is finding opportunities, right? The second one is having the right qualifications and experience. The third one is discrimination bias due to my race. Fourth one, uncomfortable workplace culture 
environment. And the last one, personal challenges, health, personal life. So blacks being unemployed and, and, and a lot of times is, well, for the, for the point three says discrimination bias and yeah. uh, basically, yeah, discrimination bias, whether an, an employer um, sees a specific name um, on an application and uh, doesn't hire the person. I, I, the, the, the principle that comes up to me, like especially if I'm a policymaker and I'm trying to find a solution to this problem, the, the, the difficulty I'm finding is this. As an employer, do I have the right? I start a business. It is my private property. Do I have the right to hire who I want to hire? I would hope so. I, 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 but it's a tough question. I, it's a tough question because, like, in light of this, if it, you know, if, if discrimination is true, um, and you know, blacks aren't being hired because of discrimination, should we force businesses to hire people they per- probably don't want to hire? It's. I mean, it's it's a dangerous slope right because now you're you're starting to get into you know part of the reason why people running their own business is is good for the economy is because you're you're providing people the ability to reap the benefits of risking their assets Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so now if i'm putting constraints on how people are going to conduct business Mm -hmm. i'm also making it more costly potentially to risk my assets. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually going to stymie the entrepreneurs mm-hmm. that ha- are feeling like, oh, if I do this, I'm going to be forced to do something that's actually going to cause me a-, a greater risk. Yeah. Now, again, not claiming that forcing someone to hire a black person will do that. I'm mm-hmm. speaking in a more generic sense. I'm mm-hmm. saying when the government starts to say or regulations start saying you have to operate in this particular way. Right. And that particular way for whatever business, whether that's, oh, you need to spend a certain amount of, mo- amount of money every year getting these certifications mm-hmm. or whatever it is mm-hmm. that, that becomes excessive, you start to make the business more li- less likely to actually reap a benefit. Right. And so therefore, people don't take the risk. Right. But you know what, Joel? You know what bakes my biscuits about this whole thing is that we see this actually happening. And- I, you know, I, in my brain, I'm thinking like a thousand thoughts a minute. So I'm thinking, okay, look, let's say a white person hires a white person because he's looking out for his people. Mm-hmm. I mean, Indian people do that. Asians do that. You go to, you go to <laughs> Oceans or Ample, I don't see no brothers working in there. You see what I'm saying? And like, and, and there, you know what I mean? And like, it's one of those things like as a black person, I'm thinking, okay, look, as a black person, if I hire the black. mandem, right? If I hire black people, then I'm looked at as a man that's empowering my community. I'm like Magic Johnson, right? But if a white person does it, it's, I don't know, maybe white supremacy? You mean white hiring a white? Right. But the question is, does the employer have a right to hire who he wants to hire? Because I mean, from a black person, like, yeah, we, 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 we hire our own people or we want to. And that's looked at as empowering mm-hmm. our community. But if another person, like a white person, doesn't do that, then 
it might be seen as discrimination. Uh, and it's one of those things where we kind of have to ask the question, is, is that a double standard? Like, is that, is that fair? Yeah. And right? I mean, your, your question at the beginning of, should we, you know, should people be allowed to hire who they want to hire? Mm-hmm. You know, I think where the question, and this isn't, uh, you know, can go down a huge rabbit trail, so I don't mm-hmm. necessarily tend to go there. Mm-hmm. But the question being, you know, what should public organizations, meaning the government organization do? Mm-hmm. Th- that's where I think maybe some of those questions now actually hold a little more weight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it's the taxpayer's property. Right. And so therefore, the taxpayer should be represented in those. But for Joe Schmo's business at the corner store, mm-hmm. he's got three employees. Mm-hmm. He's not going to represent the population when, mm-hmm. you know, the population is so diverse. Right, right. Right. No, and, and and that's something for the listeners um to to you know you guys can uh, get in contact with us on Facebook and, and and give us your two cents on on that take. Uh, but I just thought it was very interesting that it said um, why are blacks slightly less likely or slightly less likely to be employed or a bit, and I find those words a bit and slightly um very vague terms. Well, and, and for a guy who I'm, I'm I love statistics. I mean I. I was a TA for statistics in university. I, I my instinct is to go, okay, are we just talking about statistical noise? What do you mean by that? So, you know, when you're when you're looking at stats, mm-hmm. right? If I'm trying to look at it, I mean, I do it today in my in my employment. When I'm trying to look at a trend over a couple of years, mm-hmm. in in if the variability is so minor, I can't identify the cause because mm-hmm. it can statistical noise, meaning like there's ebbs and flows in data all the time, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes just the environment slightly changes, you know, mm-hmm. and, and some people get bumped worse than others. And when it's so small that it's terminology is like slightly less and a bit less, I'm asking, can we even identify a cause for these other than just next year, it's going to be a bit more mm-hmm. or a slightly more, right? Like, or over a 10 year span, right? right that right. variability. Okay. Okay. And then our, our last um, point that we want to address from the report, it gave uh, the hopes for a black community. So I gave five points, and we're going to contrast these with the challenges and see if there's uh, some kind of uh, correlation between the two. So the first one is build a stronger community, culture, unity, support, inclusiveness. Two, more political advocacy, social consciousness, equal opportunity. Three, stronger education system, success. Four, less crime, violence, uh, better policing. Five, stronger leadership, role models. And then the greatest challenges facing the black community racism, stereotypes. Two, distrust, lack of unity. Three, internalized racism, lack of confidence. Uh, Four, lack of education and ambition. And five, lack of government and support. And just for the listener to let you guys know, the lists were longer than that, but I just cut it to the top five for um, the hopes and top five for the challenges. So, so, so what do you think about the connection between the hopes and challenges? Um, I, to be honest, I wouldn't expect them to be necessarily connected. Okay. Um, I think if you were looking at the top five actions we should be targeting or that should be targeted, mm-hmm. okay, that should be re- correlated to the greatest, you know, challenges, mm-hmm. right? Or, or what's the, what are the things that we need to be reaching out to government and try, you know, okay, those are things that I can just see why you would want to link those to mm-hmm. the greatest challenges. Mm-hmm. But the hopes would be, in essence, what are the biggest positives about this culture? What are the biggest positives we've identified mm-hmm. that can help 
a positive trajectory. Well, well, well. One of the positives about um that that the that within the community within the survey was that the perseverance of the people of black people was the perseverance and us being our ability to overcome. Um, but for me, I when I looked at it, I was just like, okay, well, look, all these hopes. You don't need government involvement for this. And two, these have nothing to do with discrimination or racism. Not to say it doesn't exist, but all these things are in-house that you basically establish within your home as a family. Build a stronger community, culture, unity, support, inclusiveness. That happens in the home. More political advocacy, social consciousness. That happens in the home. Stronger education system and success. That happens in the home. Or starts in the home. Starts, <laughs> starts in the home. Less crime, violence. That starts in the home. Uh, well, like, I mean, better policing, shoot, you can raise a police officer. There you go, right? Uh, five, stronger leadership, role models, that starts in the home. Um, and I think one of the things that, 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 yeah, that I believe in and I think is foundational that's helpful to the black community is stronger families. And we don't necessarily have that. We have a lot of broken homes. Um, but it was just funny when I looked at the challenges, they didn't, I mean, you know, whether it's government involvement or stereotypes or racism, that still doesn't stop us. And that can't, I don't, I don't think that's possible. I don't think it can stop the black community um, from succeeding. I think, I think, I think, I think those are just minor things. Those are fine. They're there and they do exist, but I think we're stronger and better than that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, that's my two cents. And that's my two cents. So what's your two cents? Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Facebook, uh, jump in the conversation. We'd love to hear from you um, and, and, and chop it up. But you heard me? Does that make sense? I hear.